0: Well, Welcome to part two of the series that we are calling Getting Directions. Uh, The series is about figuring out what is God's will for your life? What is God's will for my life? And if you're here and you're not a Christian, let me... uh, explain some of our beliefs behind uh, this series, that's dri- that are, the beliefs that are driving this series. As Christians, we believe that God, the very same God that created the entirety of the universe, not only has a plan and a direction for the whole universe, but for our lives, that he is intimately aware of our lives, concerned about our lives uh, as human beings, and, and that God who is bigger than the vastness of the universe cares about little old me and little old you, how you live your life, the steps you take, and the character you have. And... Last week, as we started this, rather than actually diving into what is God's will for your life or my life, we had to ask a bigger, more foundational question, and it was, are we actually willing to listen to God's will? Do we want God's will for our lives? Because there's going to be a lot of times where what you want and what God wants for you, those don't line up, and at at those moments, those critical moments, that's when you've got to make a decision. Do I listen to him or do I listen to me? And so before we can ever decide... What God's will is, or try to figure out what God's will is for our respective lives, we've got to submit to something that is very true. And we've got to say, I believe this is true, even when I don't feel that it's true, and it's this. Whoa, crazy there. God's will is greater than my will. We've got to believe that God's will is always greater than your will. Even when you don't believe it, even when the path he might be leading you down seems unpleasant or difficult or something you don't want to do, we've got to submit ourselves to the fact that his will is always better. When our plans don't line up, somebody's got to lose, and it needs to be us. His will for your life is always, always better. And I wasn't exaggerating last week when I said, and the reason I began with this question last week or this decision last week is because if you agree to this, If you devote your life to this truth, it can absolutely change the course of your life. Now today, I do want to start getting into how we figure out God's will for our life. But before we actually ask that question, what does he want for me? What does he want for you? We've got a little bit more of a foundational question to ask. How does God guide us toward his will? Like if he's got a plan for me and for you, there's got to be something he does to kind of like nudge us, over to it, right? There's got to be some way that he's going to help us get off of the road we're on and onto the road that he has for us. So how does God get us where he wants us to go? How does he guide? Um, And you'd think answering this question wouldn't be that hard. And on one hand, it's not, okay? The Bible gives us a pretty decent idea of how God's going to help us find his will for our lives. The reason it's not always so clear is because when you look at just Christianity and churches in general and belief systems, Christians are all over the place in what we believe about how God leads our life. There is not a lot of consistency. In fact, I would say some of the beliefs that are believed by a majority of Christians in our country aren't exactly mentioned anywhere in Scripture as a way that God has actually promised to lead us. And so that can be tricky. And so I want to give us two ways that I know God leads us. But before we do that, I want to give you three ways that we often try to get God to lead us that he's not. Okay, so here's the first one. Our emotions. Um, You will hear this a lot from people, that I just felt God's leading. I felt God was moving me this way. I felt so strongly. I felt convinced that this was God's will for my life. And uh, you'll hear people say that, you know, I had a, a warm feeling—it just came over me. Got tingles all over. I knew that was what God had for me. Uh, you'll hear people say that you know. I looked at all the choices, and when I there was one that I, when I looked at it, man, I just felt a sense of peace wash over me, and I just knew that that was God's will for my life. I felt it in the depths of my being. I have one little problem with feeling, and and it's, and saying that's the way God's going to lead, lead me. And that's it. feelings are fickle. What you feel one day is not what you feel the next day, and Maybe I'm the only one here, but have you ever felt something that you you knew it was true, you knew that's what you wanted for your life for the end of time, till the end of time, and then it turns out you think, boy, I'm glad that didn't happen. Like, oh, yeah, like I felt certain, 100% certainty that I was supposed to marry girls that are not now my wife. But I knew it. I knew it. It was God's plan and will for our lives. Um, I felt strongly about a financial purchase that I soon came to regret. Um, I have felt absolutely determined that there was a road that God wanted me to go down, an open door that God had for me, only to have that door slammed in my face. And so my feelings are not always right. I have a lot of cravings and desires and and wants that are not godly. And they tell I mean, they can be strong, too. They can be overpowering at times, but that doesn't mean that they're God's will for my life. For instance, you know, someone says, I just had that warm feeling. That must be God's will. Well, you can get a warm feeling by wetting your pants, but that doesn't mean it's God's will for your life, right? <laughs> That's a little snarky. I probably shouldn't have said that, because if some, not to make fun, but um, another problem, like say, if someone says, I, have a se- I just had a sense of peace about it, all right, I have a little bit of problem with that, too. Um, because I... Have you ever been so overwhelmed with what was in front of you that you thought, oh, there's so much here, I'm just going to go take a nap? Like, I'm so overwhelmed, I'm just going to go do nothing (laughs) instead of make progress? Um, Sometimes I feel that way about things that are happening in my life, and so I just kind of retreat, and retreating gives me peace. Why? Because it's like, uh, I'm just going to watch how it plays out. I'm not going to get in there and actively choose a a direction or a decision. I'm just going to kind of be apathetic. Well, Just because that made me feel better doesn't mean that was God's will for my life. Or another thing, um, I'm somebody who struggles with anxiety, and I think some of you are as well. That means I haven't had peace about a lot of the decisions I've made in my life. I'm still nervous about taking this job. That was 11 years ago. (laughs) Like, I just, like, does that mean I just never get to know God's will for my life? Because I don't feel that sense of peace washing over me. And so, yes, we feel a lot of things, but that doesn't mean that a feeling, regardless of how strong, is God's leading in our life. Proverbs 14, 12 tells us that there is a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but its end is the way to death. That Sometimes what we want, what we crave, what we feel so certain about is not God's path to life, but a path that actually would lead to death. So I don't think our emotions are the the main way God's going to lead you in your life. Second way that we often try to get God's guidance is with a test. With a test. This is where we kind of try to corner God into an either-or situation. God, if you do this, I know what you want. God, if you do this, I know what you want. Um, And... I think a lot more of us in this room have done this and probably realize, but it can be something to the effect of praying a prayer like, God, I don't know if he's the man I'm supposed to marry, but um, if he is, I'm going to order a supreme pizza tonight, and I want you to have him ask for the olives off my pizza because I hate olives. And if he loves olives, that just means we're meant to be together, God. And so if if he takes my olives, I'll just know that we're supposed to be together forever. Um, It could be, God, I don't know about this job, but if they call and offer it to me before 2 p.m., I'll take it. But if it's after 2 p.m., I won't. And this kind of stuff makes me laugh because I know I've done stuff like this in my life. I know I've prayed those prayers to kind of say, God, if it's this, I'll know it's you. But God, if it's this, I'll I'll know that that's not your will for my life. And Um, This is actually something that comes, this idea actually comes from the Bible. And there are some Christians that teach that this is a valid way of discovering God's will for your life. It actually comes from Judges chapter 6 where uh, Gideon, if you know Gideon, Gideon gets called by God. An angel speaks to Gideon and says, Gideon, you're God's guy. You're going to lead Israel to throw off the, the oppressive uh, shackles of this nation that has them kind of under its thumb at that particular moment in history. And so God says, Gideon, you're my guy. And then a little bit later in chapter 6 of Judges, um, Gideon looks for a little confirmation. He just wants a little affirmation that that is actually God's will. And so Gideon puts God to the test, and he takes a big old hunk of wool that was freshly shaved off a of sheep, and he throws it on the ground, and he says, God, in the morning, if this is your will, that I'm your guy... I want the wool to be covered in dew, and I want nothing else to be covered in dew. I want the ground to be dry. And the next morning, he wakes up. Ground is dry, but he's able to wring the water out of the wool. And then he does it again. Same test, only reverse instructions. He says, okay, God, just to double check, just to make sure I'm really, really sure I'm hearing you right. I'm going to put the fleece on the ground again. And I want the fleece to be dry and the ground to be wet this time. And it was. It was. And so some people will say, you just need to lay a fleece before the Lord, and, that, and you need to put him to the test in this kind of a way. They don't say cut him, put him to the test because Scripture actually says in numerous places, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So they say, you just got to lay a fleece before the Lord. Um, but there's a couple reasons why this is not a good idea. Um, number one, Gideon already knew God's will. The angel already told him, you're the guy. This was just him having a lack of faith to trust God. And God, for whatever reason, being graciously accommodating to him. Number two, Gideon knew that he was pushing his luck. As Gideon's laying that fleece out a second time, this is what he prays, Gideon's chapter, or Judges chapter six, verse thirty-nine. Then Gideon said to God, "Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the. Or please, please let it be dry on the fleece only." And on the ground, let there be dew. So he knows going into this that he's kind of tempting fate a little bit. God, please don't shock me with lightning. I know you've already given me two, two big obvious signs that I'm the guy. But just in case, here I'm going to try it again. So Gideon knew he was testing his luck. And thirdly, when you look throughout the, 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 the Bible, there's two ways to look at things. Well, it's probably more than two ways, but let me just give you two ways. There's, it's called prescriptive and descriptive. Is this passage describing something that happens or is it prescribing to you the way that you need to act in your life? This is a describe. This is like one of the only places God does something like this. This is an exception to the way God moves, not the rule. And God never promises, if you put me to the test, I'm gonna come through for you. I'm gonna answer you. And so this is not how God ever promises to work as, as a rule for us. Maybe he will do that in your life. But the fact that Gideon had to pray, Dear Lord, please don't strike me down while I do this again, maybe it's not the best course of action. So, emotions, I don't think, are the number one way. I don't think putting God to a test is the number one way. And this next one, it's actually my favorite Bible roulette. This is my favorite because I know I've done this. This is where you, some people call it the Bible lottery, but this is where you got something going on in your life and you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. God, I need a verse. But Absalom fled. That's not real helpful, God. Let's try it again. <laughs> For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. That's not helpful either. God, what am I going to do? And, and I, I've done this. Maybe you've done it just hoping that by chance you would be able to open the Bible and God would miraculously let it fall open to a page that would directly apply to your life and to your circumstances. But i got to tell you, that's not real helpful either. You're almost right in that you're looking in the Bible. Like that's good, okay? But there's a better way to approach that, okay? And so if that has ever worked for you, I just want to tell you, I think that was dumb luck. I don't know if it was God working there or not, but I don't but but God never promises to work in that particular way either. And so often there's ways where we're looking for God's will in the, we're just looking in the wrong places. God just never said he was going to work through those avenues. And how we came up with some of those, I don't even know. Where we decided that feelings are going to be the way to guide your life, which is what our culture overwhelmingly says. Follow your heart, do what you think is right, you do you, whatever makes you happy, that kind of stuff. And as nice as it sounds, we all know, we all know that sometimes our feelings and our gut instinct leads us to do incredibly, incredibly dumb things. And so that's just not the way that God is going to lead for your life. So again, we come to the question, how does God work toward, guide us towards his will? How does he get us where he needs us to go? Um, first one, by working behind the scenes, by working behind the scenes. This is where God works in ways that you cannot see, in ways that you cannot understand, to line up circumstances and decisions to get you where he would like you to go. God is what we call sovereign, which means he is in control of all the things at all the time. He can do whatever he wants. So if, God, if you're here and God wants you there, he's got a way to get you from here to there. Whether you want to go there or not sometimes, um, sometimes a lot of us fought God's will all the way, and God got us there. I'm one of those people. I've said numerous times, I rose my hand in youth group in high school when my youth minister asked, how many of you would say you'll never want to be a minister? Woo, not, not this guy. And then he said, ha, 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 that's usually the person God says is going to be a minister. I thought, well, yeah, God says that for some people, but not me. I remember thinking that and saying that. And here we go. So, I, you know, you don't have to be on board all the time with some aspects of God's will for him to lead in this way. Your cooperation is not always required when God is working behind the scenes. Because you can plan, but God can actually move. And line up and set up your steps. Proverbs 16, 9 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. There's a difference between your plan and God's ability to actually make you take the steps or establish the the stones in the path before you. So you have plans, but God is the one who has the power to get you there. Um, One of the best examples of this, I think, in the Bible is the story of Joseph. Uh, if you ever heard of Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, that's the same Joseph. It's in the book of Genesis. Um, Joseph's story in the Cliff Notes version is that he, uh, he was the favorite kid of his dad. And in case you ever needed a reason, parents, by the way, not to favor one kid, his brothers take Joseph out and they throw him in a hole and then sell him into slavery. And they go back to dad and say, oh, he got eaten by animals. No more Joseph. So his dad mourns Joseph. Joseph goes from being a rich kid, favorite kid, to being a slave, and ultimately a slave in the land of Egypt. And so Joseph is doing his thing. He's being a good slave working in this one guy's house. And then he gets falsely accused of attempting to rape a woman. And then he gets thrown in jail for trying to be a good and upstanding guy, if you want to read the story. And so while he's in jail, circumstances just so line up so that Joseph ends up helping out the pharaoh of Egypt And the Pharaoh makes him, because he's so impressed with his wisdom and his insight, the Pharaoh makes him second in command over all of Egypt. And... As you're reading the story, it's just kind of like, man, poor Joseph. This seems, nothing seems to be going his way. Nothing seems to be working out for him. Everything just goes bad to worse to worse. And then all of a sudden, he ends up on top. And what you see is when you follow the story of how God was working in his life, not only did God want to use Joseph to work in Egypt, but God was ultimately going to use Egypt to work through the, the plan of salvation that God wanted to bring into the world uh, through uh, Joseph's family, and when Joseph ends up reuniting with his with his brothers, he tells them, "What you intended for evil, God in, God used for good. You had a plan, but God had actual steps that He was going to make us take. This might have seemed like bad luck. This might have seemed like things that were totally out of my control. But they were all, these mo- these moments were always in God's control. God used every bit of this. He's so powerful. He can use our sinful choices, our mistakes." And kind of redeem them to still get us where he wants us to go. So God will be working behind the scenes in your life, in my life. And here's the thing about this that's so a little bit frustrating. Most of the time, in the moment, you will have no idea. I don't know if Joseph knew that God was leading him somewhere when he was in jail. I don't know. I don't, I've had moments in my life where I thought, God, what is next? What is going on? I don't understand anything. Now, when you can often observe God working in your life behind the scenes is when you get through a season or through a circumstance, and then you do one of these, and you look back on your life, and you see, oh, all of those things lined up so perfectly to get me where I am. All of those circumstances, they were so ridiculous that they got me to where I am today. I mean, I could sit up here and spend the whole time telling you the story of actually how I got into ministry, and there were some weird things that happened that I had no part in. And, and it, that actually, I wouldn't be here if God hadn't kind of put those stepping stones in place for me. And, and half the time, I didn't know. I didn't see where I was going. I didn't know where I was going. Half the time, I wouldn't have taken the step if I knew where it was going. But, but still, God led. And so he works behind the scenes in our lives, whether we cooperate or not. Now, when it comes to knowing God's will... And actually wanting to have the choice as to whether or not we follow it, because that's kind of the point here. God what's your will for my life so that I can choose to move that direction. Let me give you the one thing that I think is the most common way, the biggest way, the most important way God's going to work in your life. By the Holy Spirit through the Bible. By the Holy Spirit through the Bible. And you come to church, it shouldn't be surprising that I tell you... God's going to work in your life through the Bible, okay? The, the whole read your Bible bit, that's not, my, not, that's not new, right? I, have, I tell you that all the time, so that shouldn't surprise you. But in terms of the way that God guides, that we can cooperate with, the Bible is going to be the biggest, most important, uh, most obvious way that God leads in your life. Um, because it's in the pages of Scripture, in the many books uh, of its writings, that we learn the overwhelming majority of God's will for your life. You see, here's the thing. We want to know God's decision or call for us, to: do I take this job or that job? Do I move to this town or that town? God, do I marry this person or that person? We're looking for these big, giant decisions. But the big, giant decisions aren't the only decisions that shape the course of your life. The, I mean, you, the, the things that are going to impact you way more than those few big decisions are all of the smaller decisions you make every single day. The decisions about character the decisions about how you treat people, and the Bible is full of those kinds of things. Um, the Bible shows us how to treat people, how to conduct business. It shows us how to be a good neighbor, how to handle money. It shows us how to think, how to shape our thoughts and not be have our brains kind of dwelling on things that aren't God's will. It shows us how to uh, how to talk, how we should share our faith, how we handle conflict with one another, um, how we uh, can should be a hard worker when it comes to having a job. The Bible says so much stuff about how you live your life every single day and yet we sit here wondering what God's will is when maybe the the real problem is not that God's not speaking to us but that we're not listening. You see, the main reason why we don't know God's will is because we don't really know His word. The main reason we spend our time going, God, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Is because we don't know the overwhelming, the 90% of our lives which He's actually spelled out very clearly in the pages of Scripture. And the reason that the Bible actually has this kind of power is because the person who wrote the Bible was not, the people who wrote the Bible, let me say that, it's not the, the various different authors who wrote the books. Okay? The, they, they maybe held the pen or dictated the, the letter or the story to somebody who wrote it down on parchment centuries ago. But the real person who is responsible for the words on the pages we have in our Bible is the Holy Spirit. In 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The words in the Bible were given to us by God himself through the Holy Spirit. And like every other work of writing by human beings done throughout history, those words don't just land on a page and stay there. There is amazing power still in those words. The Holy Spirit didn't just get them written down and then leave them alone. The Holy Spirit also uses those words to still have the power to shape us, convict us, and connect us to the heart of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, It says, for the word of God is living and active. You can't say that about any other piece of writing. I mean, this is why the Bible, for centuries, we can open it up and still have our hearts changed. This is why you can read a passage dozens of times... And on like the hundredth time you read through it, it just opens you up and feel, you feel so convicted by it or so changed by it or so shaped by it. Because it never stops being active, applicable, or having power in your life. That's the Holy Spirit working through these words of God to connect them in a powerful way to shape your heart. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, meaning it has the power, the sharpness to cut to the deepest depths of who you are and shape your your being for God's sake. So when it comes to the way that God guides us, that we can actually cooperate in, um, you're not going to learn more any other place than from the Bible. And the more familiar we are with scripture, the easier it is going to be for us to know God's will for our lives. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying you have to be a Bible scholar to fully get God's will. That's not what I'm I'm saying. I'm not saying you have to spend hours every day reading the Bible to know God's will. Um, You know, when you look at how the New Testament started, people didn't have Bibles. So I can't necessarily say that you have to have a Bible in your hand to know God's will. But what I will say is you have to find some way for your life and Scripture to intersect. Sometimes that's by doing this. You come to church. And I work hard to, to try to discern the truth behind certain passages and to unpack certain passages so that I can teach them so that God's will can hopefully be used by the Holy Spirit to grab your heart and lead your heart and educate you in how God would want you to live your life in the Scriptures. So this is one way that you get the Bible in your life. Um, maybe it's uh, through listening to sermons online. You can get sermons from a lot better preachers than me uh, all the time, um, we still got to come to church, though. That's not an excuse. Um, but um, but you can hear these people that are amazing world-class speakers who teach the Bible. You can listen to dozens of sermons every week and never hear a duplicate. We live in a really cool age where the internet has made that possible, but you get scripture in your life. Um, maybe it's through reading books that are doctrinally based and where someone is actually writing a book to help you work through a season of your life. That can be a way to intersect scripture in in, in helpful ways sometimes. But but. You've got to find a way for the Bible and your life to bump into each other. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't read the Bible. We got it. I think it's an amazing gift of our time that not only do you not have to go out and buy a copy, but if you have a cell phone or any sort of an internet connection, you have access to God's Word for free already. YouVersion Bible app, Faithlife Bible app, ESV Study Bible, all free apps that you could get right now on your phone and start reading God's Word. We live in an amazing time. Um, so don't, don't hear me as saying, don't read the Bible. I would never say that. I wouldn't have that job that I'm nervous about taking if I said that. Um, but what I am saying is that you have to make some room for God's word to intersect in your life. And you have to be open to the Holy Spirit shaping your heart and, and helping you see what God's will is for you. Now, those are just two ways. I'm not even going to say those are the only ways. Scripture has infinite, not infinite, but a lot, a lot of examples of ways that God has communicated with people. What I am saying is these are two ways that God has promised to work in each and every one of our lives. His will is not a total mystery the way we often feel it is. He has laid plenty out for us. We just need to prioritize our lives in such a way that we can devote some time to allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us through the Bible, through his scriptures. So, last week we started with the challenge of making sure that we actually want to know God's will. If you do want to know God's will, the way he guides are behind the scenes often, and you'll see those in the, when you look in the rearview mirror. And God works through the Holy Spirit, making the powerful words of the Bible real and applicable and cutting to us so they shape us in powerful ways. Now, next week, we are actually going to start answering the question, what is God's will for my life? What does he want me to do? A or B? C or D? What is God's will for my life? So if you've been waiting for that since last week, Next week is the week uh, for you. So let's go ahead and pray together. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you have worked in our life. We thank you for the ways that you have challenged us through your word. We thank you for the fact that your word is just about everywhere. Every one of us has access to your amazing scriptures. Every one of us has access to the fact that that your, your word, this ancient text that has been preserved with remarkable integrity for thousands of years, and, and it's found its way into our hands in our language that we can understand, that we can read on a daily basis. I pray, Father, that, w- that we would be challenged or convicted a little bit to take advantage of that. But more than, than you know, making a, a, a New Year's resolution to read the Bible and then failing to do it, I pray that we would have it to be a priority in our lives To line our our schedules up, our lives up in such a way so that our lives intersect with your word. Whether that's coming to church and hearing it preached, whether that's in having um, quality, good, Bible-based books that we read that help us through times of tragedy or, or whatever situation we might be going through. Uh, I pray that we would do that, whether it's you know, putting in some headphones and listening to some sermons on a podcast app or from a, some church's website. I pray that we would just make room for you in our lives, room for the Holy Spirit to speak through your word. And I pray, Father, that we would give up the sometimes childish ways that we try to get you to, to speak to us. Flipping open the Bible to a random page or, or just d- depending on the feeling of the day. You have more for us. You've spoken more definite and concrete ways that we are oftentimes just overlooking because we, we're looking for a quick fix and the, the cheap and easy answer. And, and sometimes you, you want to speak to us in a more significant way and the way that you've promised to speak for centuries and centuries. We know that your word never dies. It never loses its effectiveness, but it is living and active by the power of your Holy Spirit who spoke it and who often delivers that word straight into our hearts. We are grateful for the fact that these words never lose their meaning. They never lose their relevance, and as our culture has changed and as it continues to change, the Bible will be ever applicable. It will be ever beautiful, ever real to us. And so we're thankful for the way that you've spoke and continue to speak through its words. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.